It's time. Good luck, Jason. All right, Jason, you. you're going to do amazing. You're the best presenter, honestly. Uh, back. Do it. No pressure. Thanks, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, All right, it is one o'clock, guys. Eastern time here on August 26th. Thank you so much for being here. I see myself right now, so I'm going to hide that a little bit. That is just a little awkward for me. And so thank you so much for being here. I really do appreciate you choosing to take this time today. And we're just going to go ahead and hop in and get started. So today's topic is essentially the most meta presentation on presenting using science and stuff. Uh, it's also how to share your knowledge with others. And if you if you're here today, like if you chose to come to this, then I'm pretty sure you pre-selected or pre-chose like this is the kind of information that I want because you're interested in sharing your knowledge with others. And either that's at work or personal or wherever it is, you've made a decision today to come here. And so thank you so much for taking the time to do that. And so we're going to get started since I hit the. There we go. Uh, so I'm going to get started by asking you a question. So if you can in the Discord channel or in GoToWebinar or wherever you can converse with us, do the best you can to answer this question. On a scale of one to four, so not one to 10, on a scale of one to four, one being I love giving praises presentations. I don't mind it. I'm never nervous. I'm totally okay with it. And four being like, oh my God, why would you make me do this? I want to just die right now. Like, please don't ever, 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 ever make me talk in public. Where do you fall on that scale? So are you a one? I would gladly give a presentation right now. If you ask me to, I'll turn my camera on now and talk about something Or four. Please, 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 please don't ever make me do that. Uh, if you had to choose between one and four, what is that? And, and like two is like, oh, yeah, like three is yeah, you know, I'm kind of worried, but I'll still do it. And two's like, eh, it doesn't bring me joy, but sure, okay. Uh, so we're getting a lot of votes in right now. And someone wrote 71, so I'm not sure what 71 means, but uh, I'm sure that means a little here. Okay, so thank you so much for answering that question. Let's move on to the next step. So I asked this question to people on LinkedIn. And I said, on a scale of one to four, for being afraid of public speaking, four is really terrified. You never do. One is doesn't bother you. Where do you fall? And I was surprised by the 22% of people that said, not a problem, not a problem, Jason. And the 12% of people that said, nope, terrified. Please don't make me do this. But I, I want you to notice how like, we all fall into that two or three category. Like The majority of us fall into that two or three category because I think that's all. Like You're here today because you want to share your knowledge, but there's some hesitation to you sharing your knowledge. And whatever that is, we'll talk about it. And hopefully after today, you'll see how we can use some of the things that we talk about to alleviate some of that stress so that way you can give the best presentation you can. So I thought that was fun. And so let me get started by saying, I do want to be here today. Like I do, I want to share my knowledge. I want to pass this information on to you. I want to see you do something with it. I want to see that ripple effect of I teach you, you teach somebody else, they teach somebody else. And we continue to pass our knowledge on to others because that makes me incredibly happy. Like it brings me joy to know that you may use this talk today to finally give that talk that you've wanted to give or improve the talks that you're giving or start giving presentations at work or something like that. Like I do want to be here. Also, like it, this is fun. Like there's parts of this that's fun. I love seeing the chat inside Discord. I'm going to go through it when this is all finished and see what you wrote, the memes that you posted and stuff. Like there's a fun aspect to this. There's a bit of the adrenaline rush too. So as I'm getting ready to go, like my heart starts racing. If I check right now to see what my pulse is, it is currently 68. Uh, that's not, not bad. 
Uh, whenever I do stand-up comedy, it normally shoots up to 140 uh, before I get up on stage. And then once I get on stage, I'm like, yeah! And then when I get off the stage, I have like an immediate adrenaline withdrawal. And I'm like, I want to do that again. And so I do want to do this. Now, I also don't want to do this. I don't. Like, I woke up this morning edgy. I just need everything in the house to be nice. My daughter, she started making lunch right at like right as we were doing equipment checks. I'm like, yeah, you got like 10 minutes. Like I need you to not be here so I can mentally prepare for this today. And I don't want to do this because I don't want you to judge me while I do this. Like, I don't want you to think of like, well, you said this was a presentation on presentations. Like this isn't like your normal Black Hills thing or this isn't like I thought you were better than this. Like all of a sudden I start like thinking about how you're listening to me, listening to me say these words. And I get like incredibly hyper focused on what you may be thinking about me. And I don't know if, if this, this has ever happened to you when you present, but I don't like that. And so I do want to be here and I don't want to be here. And if you've ever given a presentation or you want to share your knowledge, you may feel that same way too. I do, and I don't. And even though I don't want to be here, I am still here because the I do part outweighs the I don't part. And I hopefully by the end of this, you will start to see that the I don't part is not as bad as the I do part. So the what ifs. Whenever someone says like, hey, would you like to give a, presentation or would you like to submit a call for papers for this upcoming conference like there's a moment where you're like yeah i do like i i would be really cool if i talked about this it'd be really cool if i did that oh i have this really cool topic i want to do like i I created this thing and i want to share it with people and as soon as you say i want to share it with people as soon as you start deciding to do it immediately the what ifs start to happen it's the what if my slides aren't good enough what if i can't finish the research on time? What if I don't speak well in front of others? What if I get nervous? What if I get scared? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? And I don't know if this happens to you, but it happens to me. Like I start thinking about all the what ifs. And you can call it imposter syndrome. You can call it other things. You can call it whatever. Uh, But it's really like there's this lizard brain inside of you. There's like, if you want to do some research, you know, there's that, you know, thing at the base of your brain that says, don't do anything that might be dangerous. And this is dangerous. It's dangerous reputationally. It's dangerous professionally. It's dangerous. It's just dangerous. Like, I'm also using a lot of calories right now to do this. And your body's like, no, bro, don't use the calories. Like, you might need it to, you know, fight off a lion later or something. And so your body is like, no, this is dangerous. Don't do it. And so you have to, like, fight through that desire to be safe to do the thing that's dangerous. And that's the what ups. But here's the biggest what if of all. And this is the one that we ask ourselves. What if I'm not enough? Like, if you get to the core of what all those what ifs is about, what if I'm not enough? What if I'm not a good enough of a speaker? What if I'm not good enough of a presenter? What if I, my research isn't good enough? What if this? What if I'm not enough? And that's the hard one. Like, that's the one that goes deep, deep, deep down to your childhood. That one goes deep into that one rejection that you experienced. That one goes deep to the core of who you are. What if I'm not enough? And we're going to talk about being enough. We're going to talk about that. So the main takeaway today, I'm going to just say it right up front. The main takeaway from today, the thing that I want you to hear the most, the thing that I want you to internalize and start like really 
you know, becoming a part of who you are is never deny someone the opportunity to learn what you know. That there are things inside of you that other people don't know. There's knowledge that you've accrued over the years. Like you have something that someone else doesn't know. Maybe it's because you're older and, and wiser. Maybe it's just because they've been you've been doing it longer. Maybe it's because you've made more mistakes than the other person sitting next to you. Whatever it is that you've like gathered over the years, someone else could benefit from that. And so by withholding it because you're afraid, then you're denying them the opportunity to learn what you know. And so what I would hope you would say is like, if someone says, would you like to give a talk or would you like to present or would you like to share this thing that you're working on? Internally go, never deny someone the opportunity to learn what I know. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. And I'll fight through the fear. I'll fight through the what ifs. I'll do that. And I'll share my knowledge. So who am I? Like, who is this person who's been talking for the last nine minutes? And why do I even have the ability to talk about presenting in the first place? Okay. Uh, so just a real quick background on me. On the left-hand side there, you see I went to school at Full Sail University. I also taught there for nine years. Filmmaking and content creation and producing and editing and things like that. If you see the, the icon below that, that's for Avid. Uh, so Avid is a computer program for how to uh, edit videos. And I was a video editor for the United States Army. And then I taught video editing while at Full Sail University. And so I started my career at, at 18 years old as the youngest video editor for the United States military. And I got very good at it because I taught myself it. I got training for it. But the United States Recruiting Command was right across the street from where our station was. And the Recruiting Command said, hey, you're... 18, and you're a lot like the people we're trying to recruit. So, how about you make videos for us? So, I became like the in house recruiter for the United States Recruiting Department and the in house video editor for the recruiting department. And so, I got to make tons of fun, fun videos. And I learned by being a, a video editor that I have, and all video editors have this ability to manipulate human feeling. That's what we do. Whenever you cry during a movie, that was the manipulation of sound and video and story to get you to cry. When you laugh during a movie, the manipulation of feelings. And so I got a chance to learn how to manipulate human feelings for years. And it's not like I, I'm doing it to be malicious. I'm doing it because I'm trying to make sure that you are having the emotion that you should have at this time in the story. And so on the top right-hand side, I owned a comic book store for a while. Some of you may have heard of this. Most likely you haven't. I owned it from 2006 to 2011. That during that time, we were the world's most famous comic book store. And the reason why is because we made a lot of content. We created things and we put it out to the community. I'm the co-creator of Backdoors and Breaches. And then I also worked at Sands for many years, creating content, especially the pen test posters. If you've ever seen those, like the pivots and payloads poster, the blueprint poster, or the whiteboard poster, I created that. And now I work at Black Hills as the content community director. And my job at Black Hills is to help the other people who work at Black Hills share their knowledge and to make sure that there's people out there that will hear that knowledge that we want to share. And I also uh, stream on Twitch. And so I have a Twitch stream that talks about job hunting. I do it for about four hours each week. And one of the reasons I do it is so I can practice presenting and practice speaking, practice sharing my knowledge. The other one reason that I do this, I at least do one webcast a year. Is because I don't want to ask the people who work at Black Hills to do something I'm not willing to do myself. I want to feel the fear. I want to know what it's like to have over a thousand people here. I want to have to build my own slides. I want to have to do this. 
And I want to do it so that way, when I ask someone else to do it, I'm not asking them to do something I'm not willing to do myself. All right, so let's talk about my first time ever public speaking. Now, now this is a, it's, stay, stay with me here, okay? Uh, I was in the United States Army, and I was stationed in South Korea. And while I was there, I started to help the youth group on the base. You know, I was about 21 years old, and I found that there was a youth group on the base, and I started helping out the youth group. And by helping out the youth group there and stuff, that um, I would, like, share stories. And one of the stories I shared, another person heard it, and they said, Jason, would you be willing to come down and, and talk at my church? And it was one of those, like, you want me to come talk at your church? And I, yeah. And, and they were at Osan, which was a two-hour drive. So I, I take this two-hour drive down to this church in Osan. And when I get there, I, I wasn't really prepared. This is, like, pre, I mean, there's email and stuff, and I'm not, like, huge email. I didn't, like, I didn't really know how to contact this person. I just had an address and what day to show up and stuff. And so I showed up, and I found the the guy that's the pastor of the church. And I was like, so um, like, how much time do I have? And is there any like thing you would like me to talk about? And he's like, Oh, you're, you're like, you're doing the, the whole sermon today. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you got like the whole 40 minutes. And I was like, <laughs> so the very first time I ever like publicly spoke was in a church where I gave the whole sermon and I was not prepared or qualified to do any of those things. And I just want to let you know now that what that was the worst that it's ever been. And I ended up, it was okay. It was April, 2002. And if you're like, what really? Yeah, really. Okay. So that was my first time. All right. So I believe that you and I, all of us were born storytellers and we are storytellers at our core. Like we just get storytelling. Like we are storytellers. And I know this because I know that you have five stories that you bring out whenever you meet somebody new at a party or at a get together or something. And we used to do that pre COVID, but I'm sure if you've gotten together with other people, you sit down at a restaurant, you sit down at a chair, whatever it is, and you have the opportunity to tell stories. You're going to tell one of your favorite five stories about this one time back home or when I was in college or at, at my job the other day, or like we had a bat in the house the other day, it's going to become one of my new top five stories. Like we had a bat in the house and the way my daughter screamed and she's like, Oh my God, there's a bird in the house. And I was like, why are you screaming? Uh, And then the bat came at me and I was like, okay, all right, I get it. I get why you're screaming now. And so the bat story might become one of the five stories and you have these five stories. We're all storytellers. Now, some of us are a little bit better than others. Some of us are natural storytellers, but we're all storytellers. We all like to tell it. Some of you, just get to the point, you know, sometimes like you're probably thinking with me right now, like just get to the point. Uh, but we all tell stories and we tell it the exact same way. And I'll show you here in a second, the same way we all tell stories. But I started, you know, like where did, you know, I said my first time speaking in public, but where I originally got started as a storyteller was with GI Joe. Now my mom was a single mom and one of the greatest things she ever did for me was she bought me GI Joes all the time. She'd pick them up at yard sales. She'd pick them up at flea markets. She, wherever she could find GI Joes, she bought them for me. And I'd get all the accessories and the vehicles and all that stuff. And I would play GI Joe in my room. And so I grew up as like a, a bit of a single, you know, like, uh, what do you call it? Like a, uh, a child that grows up alone. What's that called? Single. That's not a single child. It's an, I was an only child. There we go. So I was an only child growing up and I had a lot of G.I. Joes. So here's what that meant. I would be in my room and I would set up all my G.I. Joes where I wanted them to be. 
So I had my trucks over here, my people over here. I had the helicopter over here. I had all the things. And it would take like a day, maybe two days to set up everything in my room the way I wanted it to be, like perfectly. And then as it was all set up, I'd go. Like that was the beginning of the epic battle. And this battle would rage on for like 30, 45 minutes. And then there'd be like this final moment, like, you'll never take me alive. Duke, or you know, whatever, and it's like, and it was over. It's like, oh, that was awesome. That was absolutely awesome. And I would start setting up all of my guys again. And so that's where I got started. And some of you got started telling stories the same place. Some of you watch your children. Like, if you have kids right now, they're doing the same thing. They got their toys. They get lost in their imagination. They're they're creating things. They're building stuff. And it, it it's just who we are. And we get to tell stories. I got a pro tip for all the parents out there. Uh, so this works with young children. Uh, before I move on, I want to tell all parents this pro tip. Since we're all born storytellers, you get to do this really cool thing with your young children. And so at some point it stops working, but until this one point, it's amazing. Uh, so my daughter was about four years old and she kept asking me to read the same book every night. And she's like, daddy, can you read me this book? And so after like the you know fifth or sixth night of reading the same book, at some point I go, I am bored. I am so bored reading the same book that I decided to start telling her stories. Now, here's the part that here's the tip for all of you is I got to tell her any story I wanted to tell her because she doesn't know anything. Like she's a blank slate. She doesn't have any memories and all that stuff. Uh, So one of the stories I started telling her was, well, okay. All right, sweetheart. So there's this gigantic spaceship going through space. It's like, and it's like, do, 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 do. and it's going after like a smaller spaceship. And then like they disable the engines and then all of a sudden they board the ship and there's like this kind of an epic battle. But all of a sudden we meet the princess who's trying to get the plans for the Death Star out of the hands of um, the Empire. And she's like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. So, so this princess is trying to get the plans away, but all of a sudden Darth Vader shows up. But what they didn't know is like this pod makes it away and you have this uh, R2-D2. So it's like a little robot. This is R2-D2 that makes it down to Tatooine. And when he gets down to Tatooine, he, you know, and all of a sudden my daughter's like, uh-huh. And you can just keep doing this every single night. You can keep telling stories because they don't know. Now, it does fall apart when they get old enough to watch the movies that you've been telling them for years. Because at one point my daughter's like, hey, this, this Star Wars movie is a lot like the story that you told me. And I was like, Hmm. Is it? I can't believe they stole that story that I came up with. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So I think I have to send money to Disney now since I just told a Star Wars story. Okay. And so I, I told you that we're going to say that all storytellers know the right way to tell a story. And you do this with subconsciously, you do this all the time. And the way to tell a story is there's a hook, a beginning, a middle, a climax, an end. Like that, that's how we tell stories. There's a hook. I guess people like gets their attention. There's the, there's the beginning where I, I go on a quest. There's the middle, like here's all the things that happened. And then the climactic moment, you're like, and you won't believe this part. Like, and then the whole thing blew up. And you're like, oh my God, it blew up. And you're like, yeah. And that's why I can't go to Texas anymore. And that's the end. Like, you know that we follow this format every single time we tell a story. And the one thing I want you to start noticing is that you do follow this format every time you tell a story. And the reason why this is so important is because I'm going to show you that you just follow the same format 
when building your presentations. There's a hook, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's a climactic moment, there's an end, and I'll show you how all that works here as we go through. So let's talk about the human brain. And this comes from my days of being an editor. This comes from learning how to write screenplays. This comes from storytelling. This comes from owning a comic book store and reading so many comic books and learning how to sell comic books and pitching comic books and knowing that ah, there's structure. And if there's a structure that the human brain likes, and spoiler alert, it's this structure. We all like it. If there's a structure that the human brain likes, then let's follow that structure. And if you know that a presentation has a structure, then it's, an e it's easier to write it because you're like, oh, there's a hook, there's a beginning, there's a middle, there's a climax, there's an end. And I'll just fill in the parts and put it in the order that it needs to be because that's how human beings like to perceive information. So let me just use the structure. Now, to elaborate on structure, I'm about to ruin 97.3% of all movies for you. I'm sorry. I'm also going to let you know that I made up that number of 97.3% of movies because I work in marketing and I can do whatever I want. And if you add a 0.3 at the end of something, it looks real legit. Like the more points you add to the end of a percentage, the better and more. Like people are like, oh, 97.3%. Hmm. Like whenever you give someone a quote uh, for work, you're like, it's $1,183.62. I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. But if you're like, it's $1,000, like, well, can you come down to like nine? It's, sorry. Digressing. All right. So let's talk about how I'm going to ruin all movies for you. And the way I'm going to do it is that if you didn't know, all movies follow the same formula. They do. Like, seriously, all of them. And roughly, it's in this 90 minutes. So if a movie's 120 minutes, then they're going to just stretch out these goals. If it's 240 minutes, like, why would a movie be that? Then they would just stretch this out longer. But if you find a 90-minute movie, and it's a possibility that you can find, excuse me, a 90-minute movie, it will happen. You can pause the, the TV at minute three and be like, yep. You can pause it at minute 10. And you're like, ooh, they did that too. Pause it at minute 30. Pause it at minute 45. Pause it at minute 60, 75, and 90. They're going to hit these core moments. And minute number three is the hook. That's the introduction of the main character. Within the first three minutes, you're going to introduce the main character and set up some initial conflict. So minute three, oh, a cat wants to hop up again, and I'm going to put him over here again. Uh, cat does what cat wants to do. Okay, by minute 10, you have your inciting incident. So this is where you've introduced the main character, you've introduced some conflict, and then now that conflict is being dealt with to minute 30, where the hero, the main character of your story, goes on a quest, goes on a journey for whatever that thing is that became that was, came from the inciting incident. By minute 45, all things are going well. They are. Like By minute 45, your hero's kicking butt. Things are going well. Things are good. By minute 60, mm -hmm, things are also good. But around minute 60 to 75, everything falls apart. The hero finds out that they're not good enough or the couple breaks up or the something bad happens. Like that's what happens. But by minute 75, they find the will to succeed. They get the magic am amulet, amulet, amulet. They get the thing that they need in order to beat the villain. Like that's what happens. And then from minute 75 to about minute 87 or so, it is the climactic part of the movie. And so everything builds up to those minutes right there. And then if you've never noticed this before, movies try to end as soon as possible because they want you to leave 
with that feeling of the climax. And any movie that ling lingers around too long, like you, you feel it. You're like, oh, this should have ended like three minutes ago. That's taken forever. Uh, what, uh, if you ever watch the movie Die Hard again, okay, so Die Hard follows this formula to a T, uh, but this building explodes, right? Like the whole thing explodes. And then at the end, it's just, it's over. And you're like, really? Like it's just over. Like within the next minute or two. So now that I've ruined all movies for you, I apologize. I'm sorry. Okay. So let's just put this in practice. Like Ghostbusters. In the first three minutes, we see the first ghost in the library, and we meet the first you know main character. And then by minute ten, they're like, "We should become Ghostbusters." You know, they they have that. And so from minute like ten to thirty is where they're putting the uh, the office together. They're putting. They're getting the the ambulance that they're going to turn into the Ghostbuster mobile. They're doing all the things. And then on minute 30, they're Ghostbusted. And then at minute 45, you also have like the Gozier stuff happening in there and some other things. But by minute 45, they're like the talk of the city. Everyone loves them. All things are going well. And then the city comes in that like commissioner guy is like, we're shutting you down. You got like a nuclear something here or whatever. And then they shut them down. And then the whole city goes to, to heck. And then they get out of prison and then you have the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man and all that other stuff. And then it just ends. It's exciting. It's fun. It's all this. And it ends. So now you're like, darn it. Lion King. Minute three, the introduction. Oh, you know, holding up Simba. By minute 10, we have the like, all this stuff is yours. And then by minute 30, Mufasa dies. Sorry. Also, just a side note. Uh, my daughter, as she was growing up, loved The Lion King, but she only loved the scene where Mufasa died. And she was like, I think it was like chapter 12 or something. She's like, chapter 12. And I was like, is that when Mufasa died? She's like, yeah. It's just, it's just wrong. Uh, and then Simba goes on the quest, uh, Hakuna Matata and all those other things, and then finds Nala, and then Nala comes, and then, you know, the Pride Rock or Pride Rock has gone to heck, and then all of a sudden, like Simba realizes he does have the ability to take on Scar, and then, you know, and he takes on Scar, and there's a climactic moment and all those things. And then, yeah, so, yeah, I know. For those of you that haven't seen it yet, you're like, what? I really did try to find three movies that the entire world had seen. Uh, so it's Ghostbusters, Lion King, and Top Gun. Uh, and so Top Gun, first three minutes, we see Maverick being a Maverick in the first 10 minutes. They're like, we're going, to, you're, we're sending you to Top Gun. And then they go to Top Gun, but then they're like fighting it out to see who's the best of the best. And so minute 30, minute 45, they're, they're, they're competing with each other, Iceman, all this stuff. And then something bad happens. I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I cried in the movie theater. I don't know if you did, uh, but I cried. Yeah, I cry almost every time it happens. And then Maverick's like, I can't do it anymore. I can't get in the jet. But then there's like a thing that only Maverick can do. So Maverick gets back in the jet. And then there's this climactic like battle with the, the planes. And then he lands back onto the ship. And then they hoist him up onto his shoulders. And there's this real exciting moment. And then there's just this one real sweet ending moment. And it's over. Okay. So. That's structure. Like, if all movies follow structure, then your presentation can follow structure. And it's that simple hook, beginning, middle, climax, and end. Like, that's structure. And so now we're going to talk about pacing. Because if there's structure, then there's pacing. And pacing is where the human brain really, really kicks in. Uh, because 
you know, structure is fine. That, that way we understand where we're heading and where we've been. But pacing is where you can get the brain doing all kinds of things. And so I'm going to sh- tell you about that now. All right. So in a movie or TV show, I want you to, the next time you watch a movie or a TV show, the average cut in a movie or TV show is three seconds. So let's go ahead and count that. One, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000. And then they cut to another shot. And then it's one, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000. And then they cut to another shot. Then it's one, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000. Cuts to another shot. And the reason why cutting, like cutting from shot to shot to shot works in movies and TV shows is because your brain does this all day long and it's called blinking. You don't notice it, but your brain is blinking constantly or your body is blinking, your eyes are blinking constantly. But here, your brain also blinks too. And what I mean by that is I want you to look at me right now. So look at the screen, look at you know, this presentation, look at this. And then I want you to look at something on your desk. Okay, now look back at me. And then look at something else on your desk. And then look back at me. And then look at something real close to you. And then look back at me. That's exactly like cutting in a TV show or movie. Your brain goes, I see that, I see that, I see that, I see that. It doesn't remember all the stuff in between. Like if you were to slowly turn your head, looking at everything in between what it is that you were looking at and what you're now looking at, your brain doesn't do that. It looks at what it's looking at, then it looks at what it's looking at now, and then it looks what what it's looking at now, what it's looking at now. Like your brain is constantly cutting because that's how we perceive information. And the focus is changing all the time. I'm in a wide shot right now. Now my hand's in the close-up. Like I, I'm doing a constantly wide shot, medium shot, close up, wide shot, medium shot, close up. And we do it all the time. We just don't even think about it, which is why movies and TV shows work. Wide shot, medium shot, close up, wide shot, medium shot, close up, wide shot, medium shot, close up. But if you watch it from now on, it happens in three seconds, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000. And here's why. It takes the human brain three seconds to recognize what it sees, to interpret what that sees. Like it says like, okay, I see something. Okay, I know what that thing is, and then it relates it to something in its past. So let me give you a for instance. If I was to show you an image right now of a yellow house, if I showed you an image right now of a yellow house, it would take your brain a, a little bit to adjust and say, okay, that's a house. It's yellow. Okay, I, I recognize it. And then your brain within that three seconds goes, and I had a friend that grew up in a yellow house down the street from me. That is why we cry at movies. That's why we laugh at movies. That's why we get upset. That's why we emote at movies. It's not because of what's happening to the character on the screen. And sometimes it is like we actually like Harry Potter. We actually like Maverick or we actually like the Ghostbusters. But it's not really about what's happening to them. It's about what's happening to us by watching them. Because if someone is dying, then you start thinking about your own life. You start thinking about your own father, your, your mother. You start thinking about other people. Like you start thinking about how it would feel if it had happened to you because you're internalizing it and you're relating it to something in your own life. You're doing it right now. So if we go to four seconds, so the human brain in four seconds, I see it, I recognize, like I recognize it, I see it, I internalize it, I relate it to something. And here's how the human brain works. It will make another leap. It will say, all right, so here's a yellow house. And it's like, all right, so here's a yellow house. I recognize the yellow house. I get it. 
It reminds me of someone I knew that grew up in a yellow house like, like that. And then it makes another leap to, I wonder what they're doing. Like you start thinking about that person. And the reason why this is important is because as you slow down, it gives the audience more time to think. If you talk slowly, you might lose your audience because of pacing. At five seconds, the human brain makes three leaps. It sees it and recognizes it. It relates it to something in its life. Then it relates it to something else and relates it to something else. That's why you could be in the middle of hearing someone's presentation. They talk about something, and then you start thinking about your checkbook. And if you're like, what's a checkbook? I realize, yes, I know. I just said checkbook. And for some of you, you're like, what is a checkbook? I get that. Uh, but what happens is that when human beings hear something, they start to relate it to something that they understand. And then they start to relate that to something else they understand. And if you go like too long without introducing new information, then your audience is just thinking about whatever they want to think about. And that happens within five seconds. That's how you can lose your audience in five Let's go in the other direction. Let's go in the other direction. So if three seconds is the average cut, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, three, 1,000, then if you go in two-second increments, you know, 1,000, two, 1,000, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, one, 1,000, two, 1,000, if you keep cutting faster, and what will happen is when you watch movies and TV shows, as the action picks up, they start cutting faster. So as action starts happening, they cut faster. And so they're doing that for a specific reason. Because they want your brain to see it and recognize it, but they don't want you to relate it to something else. They want you to stay in the moment. They want you to stay in the moment. So that it's cutting faster and faster. So I see it, I recognize it, but I don't have time to relate it to anything in my life. So now you're on to the next shot. And then the next shot, you're like, well, what's that? And your brain's trying to see it and recognize it, see it, recognize it, see it, recognize it, see it, recognize it. Now what happens at one second is that the human brain is like, I see it, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I see it, but I'm not quite sure what it is. I see it, but I'm not quite sure what it is. But I'm reacting to it. I have reflexes. I'm, I'm trying to interpret it. I'm trying to understand it. I'm trying to see it. I want you to think of, have you ever been in dodge, like a dodgeball fight? Have you ever been in something where things are flying at you very, very fast? Your brain has the ability to, like, I see it, and I dodge. I see it, I dodge. I see it, I dodge. So your brain is constantly like, making calculations, trying to figure out everything going on. Like it is like, and you're doing all these things to try to stay alive. Now, when you watch something, you're not trying to stay alive, but your brain's still trying to understand it as fast as it possibly can. That's why when you watch like the Star Wars trailer or you watch some other trailer, you watch a music video, they do these one second edits because they want you like, what's that? 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 And what's cool about that is there's this thing in your brain, uh, it's your frontal lobe and things like that. You have serotonin and dopamine and all those things. But what happens is as your brain is trying to process all that information fast, 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 it will release happy chemicals. It will release happy chemicals. And your brain, because it's trying to like compensate and all these other things are happening, like neurons are firing, it's like trying to like find that old directory of something that you've never, like, what is that? You start to get excited and happy. But why? You're just sitting there. Because your brain is doing all that activity, all that, that exercise, essentially. So why do I talk about this? I mean, I could talk about half-second edits where your brain doesn't even know what's happening, but it's doing the best it can. Why am I talking about it? 
because I'm doing it right now to you. I've been doing it since I started talking about the pacing part. I could slow down right now and I could talk about whatever I want to talk about. I could linger on each word, but that's annoying. I can dramatically pause when I think I said something important so that you can really internalize it. I can do that. Or I can talk fast. And I can talk fast in a way that you're trying to perceive and understand everything I'm saying. So where's the sweet spot? The sweet spot is that three-second edit, that normal cadence that you have with your voice. But there's times where you want to talk faster. If you're excited about something, if you want to get other people excited about something, if you want them to be passionate about the thing you're passionate about, you're going to pick up the pace in the way that you speak. But if you really want them to internalize the most important part, you'll pause a little. Now, I have a question for you. Is this the yellow house that you saw in your brain when I said yellow house? Did you see this yellow house or did you see a different yellow house? And if you saw a different yellow house, let me know in the discord right now that yes, I saw a different yellow house or different to say the word different. And I'll just see it. If you saw this house and maybe you did because you downloaded the slides and you went ahead and you found this yellow house and you knew exactly what I was talking about prior to me saying yellow house. Cool. Let's talk about that too. Show versus tell. So what is the difference between showing and telling? When I show you something, it is very specific. Like you're going to know the thing that I'm showing you. Like there is no dispute. There is no, you you don't get to figure out what it is. Like it is the thing that it is if I show you. But if I tell you something, then you get to make up whatever it is. You get to input whatever in that blank spot. So if I say yellow house, but I don't show you a yellow house, you get to imagine whatever yellow house that you want to imagine. If I show you a yellow house, then you're just going to know it's that yellow house. Now, why is this important? Because there are times where you want your audience to go on a journey of imagination and whatever it is that you're creating, and they'll fill in the blanks with whatever it is that they think is cool. And then there's other times where you're like, no, this is the thing. Like, I don't want you inter- to interpret it. Like, this is the thing. I don't want you to think about what it might be. This is what it is. So you have to decide when you show and when you tell. And I have done that throughout this presentation. I chose when I wanted to show and when I wanted to tell. And I'll explain it like this, too. This is a part of a screenplay. When you're making a movie, this is what you get. This is what you get. It's called a screenplay. And it's broken down like this. You have exterior, pure hilltop day. That means it's outdoors during the day on a hilltop. Exterior farmhouse day. That means that scene's going to take place at a farmhouse. Inside the farmhouse, in the den of the farmhouse, day. All right, so that's giving you some, here's what we're talking about. Now, let's look at this top here. It says, the hilltop is lined with corn. Golden and brown, shimmering in the morning heat. There's a structure in the distance. Now, we're assuming that structure is the farmhouse. We think. Now, here's what happens. So I got a chance to work with first-time directors, first-time filmmakers. And what I would do is I would sit down with them as as I was helping them produce their projects. I would sit down with these first-time directors, and I would say, all right, let's go through your script. 
Okay, we're going to take your script right here, and we're going to go step by step, methodically through each and every word. And I, okay, okay. And so what we would do is we would sit down and say, the hilltop, can you tell me about this hilltop? And they're like, yeah. So it's like a sprawling meadow in West Virginia. Okay, so sprawling meadow in West Virginia. That's not what I saw. Uh, the corn, is this like mature corn? Okay, so it says golden brown. Is it dying corn or is it ready for harvest corn? Like what is the corn that we're looking at? It says shimmering, it says, but what does that mean to you? And they're like, well, it's dying corn. Like it's corn that should have been harvested six weeks ago, but it wasn't. Like, okay, uh, there's a structure in the distance. What structure is that? And they're like, well, it's the, it's the farmhouse. Okay, so what does this farmhouse look like? And like, okay, so it, it, it's a red farmhouse with a long driveway. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And like, yeah, and there's like two cars parked in the front of it. And then they have like a, their own family garden. Uh, but they, they have a porch too. And, and like all of a sudden, like a farmhouse built of old lumber. Okay, so it does say farmhouse built of old lumber. Is this red lumber and stuff? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's no cattle or livestock. And so, so hold on, let me, let me tell me more about this farmhouse. And like, yeah, so it's like a four bedroom farmhouse do you see the problem that we're all having right now as this person explains what something looks like you're filling in the blanks of what a hilltop looks like you're filling in the blanks of what morning heat might be you're filling in the blanks of what a farmhouse might look like built with old lumber you're filling in the blanks and so what we tell young directors is stop telling me what you want and show me what you want I need you to go on the internet and do a search for hilltops. And when you find the hilltop that's perfect for you, please take that picture, drop it into a, you know, a document and show me the hilltop you want. And I'll do the best to make that happen. If you tell me about the farmhouse, I'm going to go find the thing that I filled in the blanks with based on the farmhouse that you said. Uh, and then when you get there, you're like, this isn't the farmhouse I saw in my head. Well, right, because I filled in the blank. I did not you. So I want you to be very, I want you to think about this moving forward. When do I tell and when do I show? When do I tell and when do I show? Because we all have filters. We all have filters. We see the world the way that we want to see it. And I'm going to tell you this right now. There are currently 718 of you here. And I can guarantee 718 of you have all heard a different presentation today because of your own filters. You had a different reaction to G.I. Joe. You had a different reaction to the Ghostbusters movie. You had a different reaction to me speaking fast or me speaking slow. You had a different reaction to me telling the stories of telling stories to my daughter. You had a different reaction because of your past, your experience, who you are as a person, where you grew up, your own language barrier of me speaking English, maybe. Like You have heard a different presentation than the other 1,717 people. Because of who you are. And it took me a long time to understand that, that not everyone hears what you say, but everyone hears what you say. And that they get to come up with what they want it to be. They get to turn it into the presentation that they wanted it to be. They get to turn it into what they wanted it. So I'm going to tell you this right now. You are not enough for everyone. Going back to that question at the very beginning. And I said, am I enough? The what ifs. And that question of am I enough? The answer is no. You're not for everybody. You are not enough for everybody. 
you are enough for somebody. There are people that came to this presentation today and left. They got here, they heard what we were talking about, they realized that it wasn't for them, and they left. There are some of you here that are like, tell me more, presentation man. And, and that's okay. It took me a long time to be okay with the people in the audience that were looking at their phones or the people that chose to leave or the people who got up and walked out. It took me a long time to know that not everyone cared about what I was saying. And I'm okay with that. And what I hope you are is okay with that moving forward is that not everybody thinks you're enough. Not everyone thinks you're enough. Not everyone thinks what you're saying is enough. Not everyone wants to hear what you have to say, but someone does. And that someone is the reason why we share our knowledge. It's not for everyone. It's for someone. And so don't be worried about everyone not liking it. Be concerned about the person who does like it. So how do you apply all this? You know, how do you, how do you use this? How do you use this in your future presentations? How do you use this in the things that you're going to do? And you follow the structure. And if you need to, you get a sheet of paper, like a blank sheet of paper like this. And you just write hook, beginning, middle, climax, end. And you write it down on a sheet of paper, and then you just start filling in the gaps with information. Uh, that would be better in the beginning here. Oh, nope, that's good in the middle. That's good here. That's good in the climactic part. And I'll end with that. And if you're not quite sure how to get there yet, well, let's talk about that. So in the hook, you ask the audience a question. So I believe every good presentation, and, and you, may be, you may think, you may disagree with me, but I believe all good presentations start with asking the audience a question. And here's why. Because there was hundreds of you here joining us. There was pre-show banter. There was you coming off of a meeting. There's the, you're, you might be working right now as I speak. Like all of you had other things that you were doing. And I asked you a question. And then the floodgates just came in with like ones and twos and threes and fours. Like you had to think and you had to decide what you were. And here's why that works. I got you to stop thinking about all those other things. I got you to stop thinking about your email. I got you to stop thinking about your home life. I got you to stop thinking about whatever it is you were thinking about. And I got you to start thinking about what we were going to talk about. So when you ask that question, you give the audience a chance to respond. Now, if you're doing it in person, I always do the raise your hand if. Raise your hand if you're shy. Raise your hand if you've ever given a presentation before. Raise your hand if you're afraid to give a presentation. And people raise their hand because they have to think about it and they have to decide. Is that me or not? And so that's why you always start off by asking the audience a question. And that's a part of the hook. That gets people hooked into what you're saying. The beginning is you're on a quest. You take the audience on a quest and you make it personal. You say, this is why I like this topic. This is why I want to talk about this. This is why it's important. This is why I thought it was important enough to even research it in the first place. You make it personal for why you care, because if why I care, Hopefully, the audience cares, too. And so you take the audience on a quest, you make it personal, and you tell them why you care, because you hope that they care in the same way. In the middle, you talk about all the things you learned from your quest. Well, here's what I learned. And I normally use the rule of threes. Here's the three things I learned. Four seems too much. Two doesn't seem like enough. Three, 
is here's all the things I learned. I learned these three things. And so here's what I learned. And you could have learned that it failed. You could have learned that you didn't know enough to know the topic. Like it's okay to fail and tell the audience I failed. Here's what I learned because they might learn from all the things that you failed at. You don't have to be successful for the audience to still have a takeaway. And so you say, here's what I learned on my quest. In the climactic part, you tell the audience how it applies to them. You say, here's all the things I've learned, and here's how you can apply it to yourself. Because if you don't have this part where you tell the audience how it applies to them, then you're just pretty much bragging. You're just up on stage saying, here's all the things I learned. Thanks for coming. No. No, it's here's all the things I learned, and here's how you can utilize it for yourself. Because that's why the audience shows up. They show up so that they can learn from you, so that they can internalize it, they can relate it to something in their own lives, and then they can use it for themselves. So the climactic part of any presentation is how the audience can apply it to what they want to do based on what you've learned. And the conclusion. So in the conclusion, you start by saying in conclusion, uh, or as I end, or in these final moments, like you just have a moment where you tell the audience, I'm getting ready to finish. And the reason why is because there are some people in your audience that stopped paying attention because you talked about a yellow house or you talked about your checkbook or because you talked about something that was also a distraction. You talked about using parenting pro tip of teaching your kids Star Wars, like whatever it was that took them in their own way. As soon as you say in conclusion, your audience like perks back up. What? Yeah, we're, we're wrapping up now. So in conclusion, just get your audience back on track. It's like a mini hook within your own presentation. There's also like the too long didn't read section of your presentation. Like, here, let me just wrap this all up for you. Like if you forgot about the things that we talked about at the beginning, if you talked, forgot about the stuff in the middle, let me just give you the highlight part. So that way you just know what to take with you and cool. And just take that with you. And if you can, inspire your audience. Inspire them to learn. Inspire them to do their own thing. Inspire them to you know, figure out what they want to do next for themselves. Like Inspire the best you can. And then give a final takeaway. You want to give that final takeaway if somebody wants to learn more, if they're like, well, where did you learn all this stuff? Is there a place that I can learn all this stuff? You know, do you have anything that you can give me so that way I can uh, use that myself? So in conclusion. We're all born storytellers. Like we are. Uh, we we understand the hook, the beginning, the middle, the climax, the end. Like that's just who we are. We're we're born that way. We're wired with that structure. And so, since we are that way, then present that way. Use that structure. Use pacing. Now, it's going to take you a little while to get the pacing down. It's going to take you a little while to understand the structure. It's going to take you a little while. And I started in a church in Osan in 2002 in the most awkward, weird way possible, that's where I got started. So if you're sitting here right now going, that was a good presentation. And now maybe you're not. Like you judged me for like 15 minutes ago and you actually left. I don't know. But if you're sitting here thinking that was a good presentation, I would never be as good as that. I get that every once in a while. And I'm not saying I'm great. I'm just saying there's someone out there right now thinking, well, you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, get started. Get started presenting, get started sharing your knowledge, get started and start small and work your way up. And as you practice and as you do it more often, you'll understand how to use pacing 
better. Show versus tell. You have to decide when you want your audience to fill in the gaps and when you want to be explicit in what you're showing. Show versus tell. And like I said before, you are not enough for everyone, but you are enough for somebody. And hopefully you're willing to share their knowledge with them. Because remember, the main takeaway of this whole thing was never deny someone the opportunity to learn what you know. When you have that opportunity to share your knowledge, when you have the opportunity to take the things that you've learned all the, over the years and give that, that is such a gift. Give it to someone else. So if you're interested in getting in speaking and doing public speaking, I'm the president of a Toastmasters group that's called Geeks That Speak. I'm a fan of Toastmasters. It's an opportunity for you to learn how to speak in a nice, safe place where you can be evaluated to where you can learn to get rid of your ahs and ums. And even though I had some ahs and ums, but it's not as bad as it used to be. I practice. I practice at least once a month at a Toastmasters meeting. Now you can go to Toastmasters International website and you can find a local Toastmasters you. I have a virtual Toastmasters club that meets and some of the people here in our Discord channel actually join us once a month for that. And so if you want to, it's jasonsblanchard.com at gmail.com. And you can send me a message and I will get you added to the Toastmasters email list. And we only email for Toastmasters. It's not like some list where I'm like, hey, uh, would you like to buy a T-shirt? No, I'm not going to. Thank you. I will uh, look through Discord in the next few moments to answer questions. But I did want to give you two books that I really enjoy. Uh, The first one is called Poke the Box by Seth Godin. It's a a guy who is in marketing, but don't hold it against them. It is a fantastic book where the premise is, when was the last time you did something for the first time? And what's cool about that is like, what if you have never presented before? What if you have never decided to share your knowledge before? Maybe reading Poke the Box will continue to inspire you to get up and do that. I love this book. I read it about once a year. It's very small. It's easy to read. It is a, a great book. Uh, The other one's in the blink of an eye. If you're like, where did you learn about how cutting is like blinking and how the brain perceives information and how uh, pacing and all that works and how to manipulate human feelings? Uh, It's through a book called In the Blink of an Eye through Walter Murch. Now, he was a film editor, like actually cutting film and splicing it together. And some of your most beloved movies that you've watched over the years were edited by Walter Murch. And he takes that knowledge. Now, there's going to be a lot of stuff in there about like the actual cutting of things and pasting it and nonlinear digital editing. Uh, but there is a, an amazing perspective on how human beings perceive information. And so as I take questions, if there are any, like if uh, Deb and some other people want to pop back on here, that would be great. Uh, but I do a job hunting live stream twice a week on Tuesday nights and Friday afternoons. It's on twitch.tv slash Banjo Crashland. And if you're currently hunting for a job, I talk about all the ways that you can do it that are different. Uh, It is different job hunting. And so far, we're at 128 viewers that have gotten new jobs since we started the live stream in March of 2020 when the pandemic started. So we're at 128 viewers. And with that, thank you so much. I'm going to ask uh, Deb and Ryan to ask me any questions that you have, and we'll stick around for a few minutes. But I really appreciate you being here today. And hopefully there was something that you could take away in your next presentation. Thank you. Well done, friend. Well done. You're done. You're done. Good job. Well, you're not done. <sighs> now, now, they're, now here come the questions. Unfortunately, yeah. there haven't been any questions. <laughs> oh, okay. During yeah. the whole presentation. Mm-hmm. A lot of great feedback. A lot of, this is fantastic. I'm going to use this in my class. I'm going to watch it again. Um, a lot of positive, positive 
comments, but not a lot of questions. So if you have any questions, put them in the Discord and we will ask. Uh, Presentation Man is your new new panel, by the way. <laughs> uh, Alan Murray asks, what is the downside of presenting a lot of material in a crammed time space? I.e., I have an hour to give an introduction, but takes one hour and 12 minutes. So there is that once you come up with the presentation that you want, get rid of 10% of it. So I did that today prior to this starting. I created this presentation. I think I had 40 slides and I got rid of four. I went in and just got prior to the presentation, got rid of four. So I had this rule of getting rid of 10% of anything that I'm doing. If I'm working on a video, if I'm working on a presentation, I get rid of 10% of it. And that just helps me make it more compact, tighter, and better for the audience because you really can get rid of 10%. You really, really can. So if you have an hour and 12 minutes, most likely you can cut that out. Now, if you are crammed, that means you have to talk faster. And if you talk faster, then that means your audience is going to perceive you as being excited and maybe not prepared. I don't know if that's the case, uh, but if you talk fast and talk fast and talk fast and talk fast, your audience will have a different feeling at the end of that hour. They're like, I am exhausted and I don't know why. So just keep that in mind. The faster you talk, the faster your audience gets tired. Hmm. Uh, Cyber Aces says, where can you find images to use in your presentation? So where, where's like your go-to? Sure. I, I use my stock photo and I use a paid account. So that way I know that all of the images that I use inside my presentation are, I can use them and then also put them out for distribution. But if you don't have that, there are many, many sites where you can just type in stock photos and they'll give you like what you can use this for. If you're not using it to make money, then it's normally 100% free all the time. If you're using it in a commercial way, then it might be a fee. But there's a lot of websites. If you just type in stock photo depository, then you'll find a lot of places, especially for a presentation you're giving internally, especially for a presentation like this. Uh, this isn't, I'm not selling this presentation. This is a free presentation. So that's the difference. Uh, Static Tier says, how do you avoid using PowerPoint as a crutch? Any points on how to organize slides or better tools? Sure. So in the beginning, it's kind of a crutch. You don't know what to say. Like I've done this presentation before and I could do it again. I, I could have done it with no slides. I even thought about doing this with no slides, but I wanted you to be able to follow along and have something that cued you in and made you think when I had a slide. So in the beginning, you're going to write too much. But do that like 10% method where you refine, you take 10% out, you take 10% of the words. Now, if you notice, a lot of my slides had a word on it, and that word is just to remind me of what I wanted to talk about. And so you can do that too. Like this is something I would, I, this is specifically in here for you to screenshot. That's why this is here. That's why it's written so the size that it is, in case you wanted to screenshot that for yourself. All of these in here are made for screenshotting. Now, in conclusion is for me to remember to say in conclusion. Like that's why it's here. These things here are also just to remind me of what to say. So as you get more rehearsed and as you get prepared, you can get rid of more and more and more words out of your slide deck. And reminder, the more words you put on a slide deck, the more words your audience reads. And as they're reading the words on your slide deck, they're not listening to you. So the more words that are there, the less they're listening to you, the more they're reading. Uh, how do you adapt your presentation style for live versus virtual? So virtual is different where I know that I'm, I'm talking to you, but you're not really there. In, 
if I'm in person, I pace. If you ever catch me in an in-person conference, I do like three or four miles during that one hour. Like it's just nonstop pacing. One of the reasons I do it is because I want you to follow me. And if I see that you're following me in the audience, then I know that you're paying attention. I also like to tell jokes from time to time because if I tell jokes and I hear the majority of the audience laughs and I'm like, oh, uh, but I pace when now I can't pace here. So I got a lot of hand movements. I talk with my hands a lot. I'm like looking around. I'm doing things. So it's different. The thing that really helps is the pre-show banter. The pre-show banter helps me know that there's other people there, at least Deb, at least Ryan, at least I get to talk to them. And that feels like I'm talking to them, but I'm not necessarily talking to nobody. And so pre-show banter helps us internally be able to present better virtually. So if you ever wonder why we do it, it's one of the reasons why we do it. Uh, Dr. Paris, I asked a good question. How long do you spend preparing for a one-hour presentation? How long did this take you? So there's the slide deck that you create. Uh, I don't know if I can find it quickly, but what happens is I, uh, here we go. Uh, I storyboard all of my slides. So I start writing them out and then seeing what I want to put on each word. And then here's the hook, here's the beginning, here's the middle, here's the climax, here's the end. And like, as I start storyboarding these out, this might take like an hour to two hours to figure out how I want to collect my thoughts. Now, this is also based on like me just writing down my notes of like, here's what I want to say. Here's what I learned. Here's this. Here's the three takeaways. Here's how I wanted to relate to the audience. Here's all the stuff. Uh, and then I start to put it in this format. Then I actually have to make the slides themselves. And then I cut out things that I don't want in here. So it takes me about three hours to do three or four hours to do the like the work work. Uh, now, what happens is I think about it all the time. So like I'm laying in bed trying to sleep. I'm like, oh, yeah, I could, I could say it that way. Yeah. Oh, all right. Uh, and then I, I might make adjustments right before the presentation goes. But I'm thinking about it constantly prior to the presentation. Now, do I run through it? Mm, I normally don't do a run through. Like some people do, but I don't. Uh, I've done this long enough to where I don't do run throughs. Do run throughs. Do run throughs. The only reason I don't do run-throughs anymore is because I might say something through during a run-through that I think is awesome. And then when I'm actually giving the presentation, I forget to say it. And then I start going like internally, I'm like, damn, Jason, you didn't say that thing that was so good in the run-through. Uh, <laughs> so I don't do run-throughs anymore. It, it just, it hurts me. Mm. A couple questions about how to slow down pacing people that are just used to talking too fast. Any suggestions? Toastmasters. Mm. It's the practice, the knowing you're being evaluated, knowing that as you talk fast, what if you talk fast and you don't get to your five minutes of time that you were supposed to hit and you only speak in four and a half minutes and well, darn it. So Toastmasters is a great way to practice. I practice often knowing that you're slowing down on purpose internally when I get to a part where I want to slow down internally, I'm like, here's the part where you want to slow down. It, I don't, when you're driving, like, do you really think about driving? There's so many things that you're doing during driving. You don't think about it because you've done it so many times. But when you actually have to sit there and think about what you're doing when you're driving, that's when it's like, actually, I check my mirrors all the time and, I'm adjusting my speed. I put my foot over the brake right now just because I might have to slow down. Like, there's a ton of things that we do just naturally, and that happens from 18 years of presenting. That doesn't happen through practice. And 
That just means more people get to hear what you have to say. Mm, Ryan, do you have anything? I have a small question. Do you prefer to use like keyword notes on your slide or or maybe even if you when you just started this, did you have like the note card thing or your script and you read through that or is it all just tr going through memory? Yeah. When I normally start, I sit down and I do write the hook beginning, middle, climax, and then I start to compose my thoughts. And then I do a lot of editing there. It's a lot of editing in the initial, like, plotting out everything and writing it down. And I forgot the question as I was starting to explain. What was the question again? Is do you use notes or you just go off of keywords that you throw in your slides that remind right. you of things? Do you have a script that you rehearse and try to memorize? So. In the beginning, I would write out all the things I wanted to say. And then I would read it over a few times and then just have those keywords in the slides to remind me of what I wanted to say. Because I don't want to put all the things I'm going to say up on the slide because then people just read that. So I only put keywords to trigger my memory. There was a few times during this presentation, you didn't see it, but I said things prior to when I wanted to say it. You have no idea. But there was a few times where I was like, no, Jason, that comes later. Uh, but that's internally. Uh, so it, even though I don't read it verbatim, it's okay because your audience has no idea. Your audience doesn't know if that was supposed to come later. Your audience doesn't know if that was you were supposed to say that five minutes ago. Your audience doesn't know. All they see is the words you're saying now or hear the words you're saying now. Uh, when giving a presentation, how do you combat the notion that you're supposed to be the, quote, expert on whatever topic you're presenting on? Sure. I realize that there was people here today that are better presenting than I am. There's, there's got to be. There's got to be at least one person here that's like, I'll go check that out. <laughs> and that's okay. There's other people here that haven't presented as much as me. And so I know that I'm the expert for the moment that there's someone in the audience that's more expert than me, there's someone in the audience that knows less than me, but I don't want to worry about that expert judging me for not being as expert as they are. I just want to share with the people who are not as expert as me. We're all experts at something in varying degrees. And so sometimes some of you are more of an expert at something than I am, and so I would listen to you present, and then I'm like, oh, like you're teaching me stuff I didn't know. Anything else? I really love your shirt. <laughs> How do you deal with untimely questions? Oh, Alan Murray. I have, so I want to end a certain way. There's a feeling I want you to have when I end this presentation. And that's why there was like this official, hey, Deb, could you come on, Ryan? Could you come on? And then I was like, thank you. I ended it. And from there, do we have any questions? So if the questions happen during the presentation, there's a lot of, especially if I'm teaching, I was like, that is a fantastic question that I plan to get to in about 30 minutes. So if you can hang on to that, we'll get there soon. Or if someone asks me a question like, hey, that's great. Uh, during the break, can you come up and ask me that question? Because sometimes the audience member cares only about themselves. And, the, and I'm not saying this is you. But there are times where the audience member says, I have a specific question for my very specific needs, for my very specific issue. Can you help me? And it's almost like free consulting at that point instead of a question that everyone can benefit from. 
And in those moments, you say, hey, thanks so much for asking that. Could you come up during the break and ask me? Because you know, and it takes a little time to, to get used to this, you know that when that person asks that question, 95% of the people in the audience does not care. And since they don't care, I don't want to spend the time answering it right now, but I will privately afterwards. And most people, are like, okay. So untimely questions, there is no such thing as an untimely question. You get to choose which time you answer that question. If they keep asking, then he's like, hey, uh, I almost want to say, do you want to get up here and present? Do you? Do you? No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah. Don't heckle, heckle the audience. Um, uh, someone wants to know if there's a recording of the church sermon so that they can see the before versus versus now. And someone else was like, have you noticed a difference in your speaking ability by attending Toastmasters? So those two kind of go in hand in hand. But it would be great to to see that church sermon. <laughs> sure, there is no recording of the church sermon from 2002. Um, have I gotten better? For sure. Like The way I got better was in the year 2007 when I transitioned from a certain teacher. I was teaching editing. I started teaching content creation. And when I taught content creation, the way that I taught it, I had to keep getting better and better. And here's the thing that made me a much better presenter was the day my students got laptops. Like the, the day the school issued laptops to my students was the day I became a much better presenter because I realized that all the students in my class had something way better than me. They had the entire internet at their disposal at any given time. And so I had to become better than the entire internet at that time to win them over. And so there are times where I would teach or present that I go on an elaborate, crazy story about something where everyone's like, what does this have to do with what he's about to say? And then all of a sudden I like nail it and students are like, oh my God, like how did you bring all that together to teach me this thing about word of mouth advertising? Because I, like, well, uh, I had to. Uh, so knowing that you have the internet at your disposal makes me want to become better. I don't know if that answered your question, but I've gotten better over the years because I knew my, my audience had way better things to do than me. <laughs> Should you try to force humor into your presentation or be serious? Uh, it depends on the presentation. I think it if depends on the presenter. Yeah, if you, ha if you are inclined to be funny, then sure, you can work that in. Not everyone is blessed with the gift of being humorous. But if you have, like, Ryan, you're funny in a different way than I'm funny. Like, Ryan is, yeah. like, this subtle, doesn't talk, doesn't say anything, and then he just comes out with, like, this one, Ryan, good. Uh, I'm more of like, and so, yeah, it's a different kind of funny. And so all of us are funny in different ways. So, yes, you can infuse humor if, if the topic calls for it. Just a reminder that people if, if remember. It works, if it, if it uh, comes natural to you, if you try to force it, I think, that could cause you to stumble a lot more, but yeah, yeah. Really humor out in in the way that is natural to you. No, Ryan, do whatever. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, what gives you? I have a segue question. Sure. What gives you more anxiety? These webcasts or these presentations, or going to do stand up? Oh, stand up. Wait. Way worse. Uh, I have eight minutes to make people laugh and or 15 minutes to make people laugh. The The hardest co comedy show I ever did was at DerbyCon. And so I was the comedian at DerbyCon in 2019 at the farewell like event. And there were 700 people in the room. And I knew that they were going to see me all weekend at the conference. 
So if I sucked, nobody would want to say anything to me. Like, uh, and if I was good, then maybe people would be like, yeah, yeah I saw your show. It was good. Um, so that was the most. And that's when I think my pulse got up to 145 prior to going up on stage. And if you want to know, Dave Kennedy does this on purpose. I asked Dave Kennedy for a small side room to do comedy for like 30 people. And he's like, absolutely. That sounds great. And then he calls me like five weeks ahead and says, hey, Jason, you're going to open for this uh, world famous comedian. Uh, so there's going to be like 700 people there. <laughs> so Dave Kennedy is the worst. <laughs> Anybody else? We're in what's called a post-show banter right now. Thank you for sticking around. If this is your first time on a Black Hills Information Security webcast, we appreciate you being here. Uh, also, we do red team and threat hunts, and thanks to if you weren't sure. Uh, what else? A couple of uh, Brian Reynolds comments, but not, not too many this time around. That's weird. <laughs> what, that there's not a lot? Or... Mm. Mm. All right. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us here today. If you have any other questions, I'll go through Discord and see if I, there are any I can address personally. I really appreciate you taking the time to hear about how to share your knowledge because that means you want to share your knowledge. Like You self-selected showing up here today because you have a desire. And even if you're a two or a three or a four on the scale of being afraid, you still showed up here today. So hopefully, maybe you went from a four to a three, a three to a two, and a two to a one because that would be amazing. Because then... There's so many people out there that can learn from you. And with that, we're done for today. All right, I'm going to end the webinar. Bye-bye. <laughs>